Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. Gentlemen, how are we doing? A little under the weather today. It's not my Jordan flu game by any means, but 24 kids, uh, five days in Arizona. Uh, It was bound to happen, but a series split that we get to talk about that I'm excited to review with you guys. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, primarily because watching Yohan Moncada play like it's 2019 really just takes me back and makes me optimistic. So yeah, overall, I'm, I'm doing well. Also, one small thing from me, talking about optimism. I found out today, Soxmath no longer makes you do videos. I may, in fact, be back this year. Like, it's been a little hazy in the past. I may actually be back with no need for videos. So you heard it all here first. Jordan Lazowski <laughs> potentially back for the Sox math lineup in the same odd year as Yohan Makata being back. So just quite <laughs> quite the turn of events. Um, it's great to hear, boys. Um, overall, it's a pretty good weekend. It's always nice to have White Sox baseball back. Obviously, that opening that opening weekend, especially a team like the Houston Astros, it really gets the uh, juices flowing. But uh, we have quite a bit to cover in this episode. But before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you might get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook and Twitter at SoxOn35th. So, we have, you know, like I said at the top, we have quite a bit to cover. Um, I guess we'll just start kind of broad here. Um, initial reaction to the series, guys. Um, Nick, I'll let you go ahead and take this right off the top. Um, you know, obviously the White Sox split with the Houston Astros. Um, the Houston Astros reigning World Series champions. We all saw opening day, really the first two games with those those horrendous golden jerseys and, uh, you know, just the horrible style that they have in Houston, you know, in, in that terrible stadium as well. Sorry, I have to get all the, I have to get all the shots out of the way with Houston right off the bat. But, um, you know, initial first reactions, you know, I know you brought up Yohan Mankata. Um, What are your thoughts about how the Sox played in the series? Yeah, overall, I'm pretty happy. I think getting a split, especially in Houston where the White Sox, especially lately, have struggled is, is really good. I think just to start out, I want to start with the starting pitching because I think overall, all four of the starting pitchers were were pretty good. I mean, obviously Dylan Cease was electric. He was head and shoulders above everyone. But even um, Lynn, Gilito, Clevenger all, you know, pitched fairly deep into the game considering it was their first start and they weren't maybe fully stretched out. And they all, you know, kept the White Sox in the game. No, Nobody got really roughed up. Like I kind of expected maybe one or both of Lynn or Lynn or Clevenger to not pitch that well, but they all did. Clevenger today, you know, was he had eight strikeouts in five innings. Sure, he hit a couple of guys it was a little wild at times, but his stuff looked pretty good. His velocity was good. And Lynn and Lynn and Giolito got into some some jams, but were able to work themselves out of them. You know, their um, off speed pitches looked decent and overall I'm optimistic purely because of that. I mean the starting rotation, I think a lot of us, myself included, were a little worried going into the season, not by the pitchers themselves, more so that if someone gets injured or if two people get injured, then you're looking at a really weak rotation. But overall, the pitchers look good so far. And I'm curious to hear from Jordan on that because I know that um, you probably have a lot of thoughts on, on Dylan Cease, but also just overall, yeah, I know you have a lot of good answers on pitching usually. The size Cease narrative is alive and well, boys. That is absolutely one of my favorite takeaways from the weekend. Um, but honestly, Nick, to your point, you know, <clears throat> when Lance Lynn arguably has the worst start of the weekend, like 
that's a really good series for the team. And I think, you know, they dropped two games, sure. In years past, we've seen them just feel get, feel like they got boat raced by Houston every time they went out there. Or it wasn't really going to be a competitive series. Or it didn't end up being a competitive series. Or there was at least one blowout in the series. None of that really happened. I, I think they were in every game. There are plenty of bullpen decisions, in-game management decisions I think we definitely have to talk about and kind of break down here. But overall, like you said, Lancelin probably had the worst start, and it really wasn't even that bad. So when you put that all together, yes, you guys like Yohan Moncada, a big part of things. Dylan Cease, a huge part of things. You know, There's some negatives in there, too, on the offense and the bullpen as well. But the biggest takeaway for me was just it was a competitive series. Like To walk away 2-2 two and two in those games... It feels good and bad. Good because you walked away with two, but bad. It's like they could have won all four reasonably, and that's a great place to be early on in the season. Well, I think when you're just taking a look at the starting rotation numbers, um, we got out of Houston only allowing five earned runs as a rotation. Um, and I know you just highlighted Lance Lynn as kind of the guy who maybe had a little bit of the rougher rougher outing out of the out of the four of them. He's a fa- he's mostly a fastball guy, and he got out of there with two earned runs. You know, I think that's a huge positive because we saw Lance Lynn in the playoffs against Houston two years ago getting absolutely shelled. So, the huge positive because Houston is historically a really good uh, fastball hitting team. Um, I thought our offense did a great job keeping us in every ball game, even in the ones that we ended up losing. Um, and you know, I I really do like uh, what you guys brought up about kind of or Jordan the boat racing kind of aspect where we didn't really have a game where they just kind of made like made a huge run on us. Um, unfortunately, they waited until the final inning of the series to really kind of make that run. And uh, I know all of us were a little bit nervous watching the end of that game today. But even then, like, defense prevailed. You know, Luis Robert making a game-saving, one of the best plays of the year so far in center field. Um, I, I really think we're looking at a really nice setup here. Uh, but anyway... Um, I, I, I'm really, really positive with how I'm seeing the rotation. And my guy, Michael Kopech, hasn't even pitched yet. You know, he's pitching opening day tomorrow or opening day today, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, Monday. He's pitching on Monday. That's the best way I can put it. Um, but, yes, uh, really excited about what I'm seeing from the uh, from the starting rotation. The bullpen might be a little bit of a different story, but uh, we'll we'll toss into that here in a little bit. And I will say, too, just – I said Lancelin had the worst start. It wasn't even a bad start. Like, like keep that in perspective, too. Five and two-thirds, two runs. Like, that's a good start. But it was arguably the worst one just because of how it sort of ended and some of the walks associated with it. I, I think overall – Plenty, plenty of positives to take away from a weekend where, you know, a lot of fans were like, if we even walk away with one, we'll be happy. I think some of the pessimism might have worn off at least a little bit or warded off for a little bit um, with this series. Well, you know, I I guess the way you have to look at it, and, you know, obviously we're going to discuss about this series at length because it was the only series we got over the past week, but um, this is a White Sox team that, has struggled against the Houston Astros and more, more importantly, the Houston Astros just won the world series and they have come back with a pretty strong roster as well. So like this kind of had a little bit of a playoff atmosphere to it. There was some chippiness. Um, I believe there was 10 hit, uh, hit, uh, 10 hit by pitches. This, this entire, uh, entire series over a four game series. I believe that's what Steve Stone said on the broadcast earlier. That's, that's high. That is very high for any series. It's especially high for a team that has a little bit of history, you know, and that's not even bringing up the Jose Abreu factor. So yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely promising to split with a team like this It's a team uh, we'll hopefully see at the back end of the season. Um, you know, cause that's just kind of the reality of it. Houston will definitely be there. It's all about if the Sox are going to be there, but this is a very promising start. 
Yeah, absolutely. And when we've all hit on the same theme of the fact that the White Sox used to get boat raced by Houston or just really not play competitive baseball. I think one of the main reasons they were competitive in this series, beyond just in general starting pitching being better or whatnot, is a defense. And it's not even that the defense was necessarily amazing. I mean, I think it was pretty good. But, I mean, first of all, Luis Robert, I know Duke mentioned he had that amazing catch in the ninth inning where, you know, he covered, I think it was 113 feet. He looked like a, you know, a wide receiver out there just, just really tracking it down. And there was also the catch he had the day before at, at the wall, robbing Kyle Tucker. Actually, twice it was Kyle Tucker. He also hit it today. Uh, and there was a sliding catch made later in that game. I mean, Robert has been phenomenal. I think that's on, on defense. I think that's worth noting just because last year he was, I mean, his defense, I wouldn't call it bad, but definitely there were some low moments, especially when he was struggling with his, um, I believe it was vertigo, and you could tell he was having problems picking up the ball. That problem is definitely gone. He looks like 2020 Luis Robert out, out there on defense, so that's great. And then even beyond that, I mean, Oscar Colas made that huge catch on a it was like 107 mile power mile per hour line drive to get Clevenger out of the inning uh, in the in the fifth or sixth, the fifth I believe. That that was just an amazing catch. That last year, if it were Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets out there. I mean, that's that's probably a double, and the Astros score, and you got to bring in a reliever, and who knows how the game goes when that happens. So just the mere fact that the White Sox have defenders in the correct positions was huge this series and really prevented some big innings from happening. Yeah, what a novel yeah. concept. Jeez, playing guys in their right positions goes far for the team. What an idea. Truly, truly historic groundwork breaking here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially when you look at uh, Oscar Colas in right field compared to the right fielders that we've had of, of years past. You know, bringing up Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets just makes me nervous in right field. You know, it just I've had so many bad experiences with that. But um, I, I think the reason I I brought up the Oscar Colas play instead of the Andrew Vaughn play that uh, ended the game was just because of how much of a game changer that play felt like it was. And, you know, I think we're getting back to a little bit of the idea of how much defense really does benefit a baseball team. You know, Luis Robert, you know, to that point, a guy who really kind of came alive in this last game of the series, still having some issues uh, in the box as far as, like, sliders go and, and whatnot. But that's something that's going to continue to be an issue until he gets that fixed. Um I really do think a lot of his defensive struggles over the past year or two, you know, outside of Vertigo even, it's just, you know, it kind of felt like he was out there running with a bum wheel a little bit. You know, it felt like a guy who wasn't totally healthy, was probably playing through something. You know, I, I feel like people lose sight of, um, I believe it was like two years ago, how quickly Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert kind of turned turned around from their injuries and tried to force themselves back to be on a playoff ball club. And, you know, that can have that can have lingering effects. You know, you look at a guy like Yasmani Grandal, who over the past few years has also kind of played through a lot of pain. I remember him coming back for the Cubs series in 2021, being shocked that he was back that early with the type of injury that he had and him just having an absolute dynamite series. But then you see it kind of peter off there towards the end because obviously injuries start to take their toll. I really think that was a lot of what uh, a lot of the issues Luis had. And I think the more he gets to play comfortably, the more he gets to play healthy, we're going to continue to see that type of gold glove offense. You know, I think it's going to be uh, something we're going to continue to see. But it, it, speaking of like really just starting to get under their feet, we really need to discuss Yohan Mankata in this series because Yohan has been absolutely dynamite. Um, I, as I've said in previous podcasts, I believe he's somebody who has benefited from the World Baseball Classic probably more than anybody who was who has played in it, just based on his performance, his level of hustle. Like watching him, watching him hit a double today was just incredible. Watching him just round the bases, not even thinking twice about getting the second base, and that's the type of hustle you want to see out of a guy like Yohan Mankata. Jordan, I'll let you take this one because you are a huge Yohan guy. 
Um, what are your thoughts on Yoan Makata? Do you think this is something that could be sustainable? Um, do you think that maybe just confidence has something to do with it? What, what are your thoughts on how Yoan Makata is playing right now? I'm actually going to let uh, Nick take his vic- victory lap on this one because I know he's been as big of a Makata fan as I am. I'm going to let him take his victory lap first. Well, thank you. I think because of last week on the podcast, I said for the segment, who are you higher on? I picked Moncada, but honestly, as much as I'm a huge fan of his and I, you know, I've never really wavered on that. I still didn't expect him to be hitting for power like this. Granted, a couple of his, I think he has three doubles so far and two of them were kind of like ground balls that happened to get through that weren't particularly hard hit. But at the same time, that's, that's power and you can't deny the two home runs. So that's just really encouraging to me. It's just that he's, He's playing a lot looser. You can tell he's having fun. He's smiling. And he, even though he was thrown out trying to stretch um, that Abreu error into three bases on opening night, I still kind of like that he's playing with the edge to, to go for it on a night when the White Sox were really struggling to even get guys through advance a single base. He knew how important that extra base was. And you can just tell that the, the whole team, really, from a body language standpoint, from a pure vibe standpoint, like every, every, everything is just different. I think that's so key for Moncada because... It's not like he's doing anything like that he's never done before. Like he like we've seen him hit for power before, we've seen him hit doubles before, but just doing it consistently will be the key. So it's a really, really encouraging start. And I think that as long as he continues to just take these at bats the way he has, like even his fallow balls have been impressive. Like on opening night he barely missed a home run. Um and then on Saturday he barely missed what would have been a game tying double in the ninth inning just by a few feet. Like he just seems locked in. He's not taking any play appearances off, and that's gonna be the key going forward. And I think to that point, seeing him hit two homers to left field is incredibly encouraging as well. Going the opposite way, taking what's given to him, not trying to do too much. It, it kind of leans into more of the, everyone's going to refer to 2019, and I don't want to do that. But it leans into the more, the, the approach he kind of had in that season, it's taking what's given to you and going along with it. That's what leads to better at-bats instead of just looking for one specific pitch so much that you end up missing other good pitchers or p- hitters pitches like fastball on the outer part of the plate. Good, good thing to go to the opposite week field with maybe in past seasons, he might not do that as much looking maybe middle end, for example. And I think when you early on in the season, Homer twice to the opposite field, it says a lot about your willingness to take what a pitcher is giving you and maybe zone up versus just a specific pitch in a spe- specific spot. I don't think it's any um, coincidence that, both of those homers were on fastballs as well. I know that's been a huge concern for fans as well on Moncada is his ability to hit fastballs. It looks like an approach where a guy is taking what is given to him more than he is trying to find the perfect pitch for every situation. And that's what's most important to me so far. And that's what makes me think, you know, it's not just some sort of an aberration. No, he's not going to hit 400 all season, but he's going to look good in his at-bats if he continues this sort of play approach. So I, I really like that. I really like that because I think there's a lot that goes into that. Um, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I do feel like it's important to bring up that this is probably the first season since 2019 where Yuan hasn't dealt with some sort of injury heading into the season. Um, you know, if you really think about it, 2020, it was COVID. 2021, um, I believe he was having leg issues. In 2022, obviously, the 
really the first two months of the season were just so on and off with him being on and off the IL. Um, I really think that plays a lot into it. Plus he has a lot of baseball under his belt already before a game that mattered, you know, was played, you know, playing in the WBC, you know, Nick, I thought you brought up a great point. It seems like he's just having fun out there. And, you know, when you're a young guy, like Yohan Moncada was when he got his contract, you know, and you're kind of looked at from being like, oh, you just had this great year now carry our offense in a sense. You know what I mean? It, baseball could turn into a job really quickly. You know, I think people kind of get lost in the idea that once people get paid that they should just continue to play the way they always are. But, um, you know, expectations are sky high, you know, at that point. But I do, I do also think there is something to do with uh, his patience at the plate. I think that's something that people have talked about over the last few years. Sometimes he can be a little too patient. He can sit on pitches that are just pitches that most people would eat up. You know what I mean? Like, in in an in inside fastball, that's you know something that he can still get around to and get a good piece of. Um, and you know we've seen him just wa- just watch too many good pitches go through for strikeouts. Um, and I understand you know he wants to play the you know the role of getting walks, being able to get on base, you know being able to help the team in that way. But watching him aggressive at the plate right now is just really great to see because I think if you're a pitcher, you go and you go into this season with a scouting report on Yoel Mankata, it's this guy's going to take a lot of good pitches. So we're just going to attack the zone on him and maybe toss one to, you know, toss one at the bottom to get him, you know, once he falls behind, cause Yoel usually swings at an O two or one, two uh, count. But yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think approach is really a big part of it. I think health is a big part of it. I think uh, just him enjoying baseball again is a big part of it. And I think the WBC uh, played a big role in that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite things from the 2019 season when he was just destroying the league was, at least before he got injured in September, checking fan graphs every day to see where he was on the war rankings. Because he was always top 30, but there were times when he was like top 10. And I mean, stats don't matter right now. Obviously, they've played literally four games. But it is nice to look at fan graphs and go to the updated chart to see Yohan Moncada number three in baseball with a 0.5 wins above replacement. Again, very early doesn't matter, but it's still cool to see his name back up there again. Also, Grandal is in the top 15 as well, which is nice to see because those two kind of, at times, carried the offense in 2021 just in terms of getting on base. And if that can happen again, that'll be huge. And that is what's called creating an agenda. Good job, Nick Gower. Very nice job. I've done that with Dylan Cease in, what was it, 2021, when I'm like, well, he's up there in war and stuff like that. That is called creating an agenda. Beautiful job. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think Yohan's earned it, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that's really up for a whole lot of debate. Um, I do think, and you know, maybe this is me because this is a guy that I was high on that a lot of people were low on, but Tim Anderson also coming out pretty hot to start the season. He looks like a guy who wants to prove a lot of people wrong about him because there was a lot of slander. You know, We've discussed this before, so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but there's a lot of slander hovering around Tim Anderson heading into this season, you know, the entire off season, you know, it's, they're talking about changing his position. They're talking about whether he's going to continue to be the type of dominant hitter that he is. There's talks of him being injury prone, like everything under the sun, you could throw at Tim Anderson. You did. And, you know, while he did have a quiet uh, final game of the series against Houston, he was, he was the, he's the straw that stirs the drink at the top of the lineup. And he proved it in the first three games. He reminded everybody exactly who Tim Anderson is. And um, I was really, I, I, I can't say I was surprised per se, and maybe that makes me sound like a little, uh, a little full of myself on the Tim Tim Anderson wagon. But like, I just know what Tim is, and everybody else should know what Tim is. And Tim's just reminding everybody who he is. He even looks a little bit more disciplined at the plate. Whether or not that sticks is another story. You know, I've, we could also 
you know, there are teams that could win 162 games still, but we all know how that's going to work out. So it's just a really promising start. Um, and I think Tim is going to be a guy who's really going to take the lead in this lineup. And it looks like with the way we're hitting right now, um, there's a lot of guys behind him who are going to uh, pick up the slack as well. So, um, but yeah, kind of, so we've, we've talked about quite a few positives, you know, we've talked about pitching, we've talked about, uh, you know, Mankata, Tim Anderson, we should probably go a little bit to the negative side of things here. Um, you know, because I, I feel like, um, uh, I feel I'm with you, Jordan. I always like kind of, uh, having pessimistic, uh, Sox Twitter kind of take an L personally, because I think they need it every once in a while, but there, there were, it wasn't perfect. There were things we certainly could have done to make this little, uh, this series a little bit better. Um, specifically we have to look at the bullpen. Um, you know, we talk about the starting rotation really, uh, you know, taking off and getting, getting off to good starts. But, uh, once we handed it over to the bullpen, it was kind of a mixed bag. Um, Nick, because you took the, uh, Yoel Mankata point, which I apologize. I did. I completely forgot that you were the big Yoel Mankata guy in the group. Uh, Jordan, I'll let you take the bullpen. Um, what were your thoughts on the bullpen over the weekend? Bullpen didn't look, um, didn't look awesome. Certainly. I think if you just go guy by guy, I think Jose Ruiz, and this is something we were going to have to talk about. I might even want to talk about it now. Jose Ruiz was not put in the right situation. Once again, we have seen that this is now a third manager trying to put him in a high leverage situation and it just does not work. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. There's probably no statistical answer for it. Jose Ruiz cannot pitch in a high leverage situation. There were multiple guys that need to be put in on Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday um, in the later innings that should have been in far before Jose Ruiz ever came in. That That is a complete mismanagement situation. Didn't really see much of an explanation um, other than not wanting to throw Joe Kelly more than 17 pitches. That doesn't mean Jose Ruiz needs to come in next. Um, so for as many good things as Pedro Grafal might have done this series, that was certainly one that did not agree with from the start and did not go well at the end of the game. Other than that, some things we've seen at times come back to bite the White Sox happened again. Kendall Graveman pitching back to back days doesn't work out really well. Not really sure why. Kind of like Jose Ruiz in high leverage doesn't really work out really well. Ronaldo Lopez got the first chance at the saves. Um, didn't look awesome either game. I think he had the benefit of a lead both on Sunday as well as on Thursday. Um, Throw over 30 pitches both days. You're, you're not going to succeed much as a closer if we need you to pitch back-to-back and sometimes back-to-back-to-back days if you can't go because you just threw 30 pitches the day before. Um, so the bullpen in general looked rocky. I, I think if there's one positive in there, everyone's going to want to say um, Aaron Bummer, it makes them nervous, or he stinks, or and I don't really care. He looks solid. It, it was one bad batter to start the game. And he followed it up with a one, two, three appearance on um, Sunday. I will fight you, Duke. I can see you laughing. <laughs> I will fight you on Aaron Bummer all season. Let's go at it. Um, but other than that, I think the bullpen just didn't look great. Joe Kelly, one other encouraging thing um, was his changeup. And I don't remember seeing that much last season. Very encouraged by his outing as well. Yeah, I agree with you overall. I also want to add in that I think I understand – why Jake Diekman is in this bullpen. And I know that he's not what he used to be, you know, with Oakland or Kansas city or whatever, but at the same time, and this might go back to the Pedro Griffo conversation that we're going to have soon, but 
using him against Jordan Alvarez as like a lefty lefty thing when Alvarez is just as good against lefties as he has righties is something I didn't understand. And Diekman in general, even when he was at his best, was always an extremely high walk guy. Or even if he's not walking guys, he's prone to fall behind accounts because he just throws so many sliders that are just by nature hard to control. So he's one guy to watch going forward, I think, because if he keeps struggling with command and the bullpen needs to be trimmed down because Liam Hendricks or Garrett Crochet or both are going to come back, that's one person to watch just because he really isn't cutting it as the second lefty going back to last season with the White Sox and it's just something to monitor going forward. So I, in terms of questionable decision-making, I do put the Ruiz outing above the Diekman one. Both of them were ones I really didn't get. Because you're, you're right, Nick. It's a bases-loaded situation, and you have a guy with a high walk rate on the mound. At the same time, I really wasn't sure who he was going to turn to. Maybe it was going to be Joe Kelly. Um, but it, it was just a weird situation. And maybe it's kind of the state of the bullpen as a whole. There wasn't really one guy in that situation where I'm like, yep, you should have gone to him instead. And I think maybe that's why I put it ahead of the um, Ruiz Ruiz situation, simply because I don't know who he would have put in there. There there was no optimal reliever for that situation instead. So, I, I mean, we might as well just jump right into these bullpen decisions because it kind of fits perfectly in what we're talking about anyway. Um, with that, with that Deakman situation, my personal thought on it is, and maybe this, maybe this is just as a hair meatballish, but when you look at Jordan, when you look at Jordan Alvarez, are we really going to go lefty lefty matchup? Does that, does that really matter? Like, are you going to keep a guy like Liam Hendricks coming in in the ninth? Cause he's going to face two lefties. Like it's a situation where some guys, some guys, there's just not a point in playing the matchup. They mash on both sides of the plate. You put in your best arm out of the bullpen in that situation, in my opinion. And I'm sorry, Jake Diekman is nowhere in that conversation for me. You know, I don't care if it's, I, I don't care who you put in that situation, but like it needs to be more of like a high level bullpen guy, in my opinion, than a guy like Jake Diekman, who, you know, is genuinely a guy, you know, you brought up Garrett Crochet, uh, Nick. Um, that's a guy that we got basically to kind of, hold it down until we get crochet back because of injuries. You know what I mean? It's, it was just kind of a lefty arm that we needed and now I don't want to sit here and completely bury Jake Diekman, but I just, I don't feel like he was really put into a, in a great spot to succeed. That's not the guy I'm going to in a power matchup like Jordan Alvarez with bases loaded any, any day of the week. Um, you know, and like I said, you know, you're not, you're not, not putting a guy in like Kendall Graveman or, you know, Liam Hendricks or even Ronaldo Lopez, even after having a rough weekend, because he has to face a couple lefties in that situation. In my opinion, I feel like that's there are guys who are going to get that matchup regardless. I believe Jordan Alvarez actually hits better against lefties career. um, If we're looking at, if we're looking at splits, you know, so I, I, that's where that that's where that situation just really kind of blew me away. I understand the lack of lefty arms, and maybe you want to play the uh, the matchup, but that's just a situation where I think you have to throw the matchup out the window. You have to get your best pitcher out of the bullpen, and uh, you have him lock it down. I'm sorry, I, I just I did not like that decision whatsoever. And but that's kind of the hardest part for me is what what was the plan that day? I'm not really sure, and I think it even goes back to the situation before. Um, when Lambert had to come in to finish the sixth inning for um, Lance Lynn that day. I'm confused why Lambert didn't come back out there for the seventh, because I I just didn't don't see what the plan was there. You need to extend it one more inning. 
you probably weren't going to have Lopez back-to-back days after he threw 30 pitches in the opener. So you had Aaron Bummer. You probably had Joe Kelly. So I'm like, so was Joe Kelly your closer and Aaron Bummer was your eighth inning guy? Because remember, he, uh, he brought in Kendall Graveman to start that seventh inning. And Kendall Graveman started the eighth inning on Friday. So I'm not sure what the plan was to bridge to the very back end of the bullpen that day. I would have been curious to see what it was, but it felt like in that situation, kind of to everyone's point here, there were better options, though I'm not sure who was the best option for that situation. I think everyone kind of showed this week, and they've still got some lumps to work out. Um, Santos didn't look phenomenal. He looked like a Thiago Vieira type guy where he throws 102 and doesn't know where he's going at times. Um, And you can go down the list with every single guy kind of like that. So things to work out there still, but the the, the thing that concerned me most there was, I'm like, I don't know. You can make a conceivable plan, but I don't know what that plan was exactly. And that's what I would be most curious about in that situation. Just to add this, like, small little point here real quick. I, I think with a guy like Joe Kelly, that's that's probably where I would have been kind of leaning. Um, I think that's a situation where Joe Kelly's not a set closer at, at any stretch of the imagination with the way this bullpen is right now. With how fluid this bullpen is currently – you have to just go get the best guy out there, like in my opinion, because that's that 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 situation right there costs us the ball game. You know, there's no other way to put it. I agree with you both. I think that I in a bullpen without a true long reliever now, I'd like to see something like maybe using Jimmy Lambert more to instead of like Jordan said, instead of just covering one or two outs in the end of it and come out come out for the next one and ideally cover a full one there. And what we're all kind of saying too, I think, is it's an implicit defense of Pedro full in a way because we're saying that. In a series where outside of opening day, pretty much every reliever struggled. It's really hard to say, like, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that. Like, what you need is at least half of your relievers to come in and do their job, and then there's a lot less pressure on the manager. So I think just having an opponent that's not the Houston Astros will make it a lot easier for us to see Pedro Rafael's true tendencies and, and what he'll do going forward. But speaking of which, I also wanted to comment on um, pinch hitting or the lack thereof, because going back again to last week's podcast where my hot take was a very anti um, Elvis Andrews opinion. I think that I kind of have to mention how on Saturday's game in the eighth inning, there was a runner on first runners on first and third, two outs and Elvis Andrews at the plate. They brought in another ready reliever to face him. I thought it was a clear opportunity to pinch hit, whether it was Gavin Sheets, uh, Grandal was on the bench at that point, or even Romy Gonzalez, if you know, if you're of the opinion that he's a better hitter than Andrews, but Andrews was not pinch hit for, and he got five or six pitches. I don't think there was a single pitch in the strike zone. In fact, a lot of them were comically out of the strike zone, but he swung at them anyway after starting off 2-0 and or 3-0, and and he was out. And I, it was frustrating to me because I understand that Andrews has earned the starting job, but I don't think he's this kind of guy where you can point to some long track record of success at the plate and say, oh, he, he's earned the chance to get these at-bats late in the game. I really don't think, even though he's a veteran, that he's earned that just because he's never been a particularly good hitter. And I would love to have seen a pinch hitter there. And also just for him to not necessarily start every game at second base, like get Romy Gonzalez in there every now and then, especially because he was so hot at the end of spring training and did pretty well on opening day. But I don't know how you guys feel about that. I just That's one thing that I can tell is going to annoy me throughout the season if, if Andrews has used that extensively. I mean, are we totally under the idea that Elvis Andrews has earned that second base spot in the first place? 
Like he's he's a guy we brought back because he had a hot end of the season last year. But is he necessarily somebody that Pedro Grafal is willing to sit with his neck out on the line for? Um, that's that's going to be something we're going to have to watch moving forward because he was just bad. Flat, he was just flat out bad this weekend. There's no other way to put it. Was not good offensively. Was not great defensively. You know, I maybe that's me nitpicking because of the because uh, of the shift. Because I feel like the shift makes the shortstops and second baseman's life a lot harder than it was before. But just too many situations where balls were getting past the infield. Um, too many situations where Elvis was just looking completely lost to the plate. He looks like a guy that's really frustrated right now. Um, so no, I'm with you 100%, Nick. I don't think he's a guy that is unpinch hittable at all. You know, in in, in really any situation. Um, also, kind of touching on something else, I, I think kind of irked me a little bit. And I understand they want to do quote-unquote load management, which is something I already hate because that's something we had to deal with with Tony Lucia for the last two years. But um, I don't see a scenario where Andrew Vaughn shouldn't be starting at first base every day. I think he's proven himself as enough of a enough of a hitter with, against both righties and lefties where he can, e- even if he's not great against righties, you need to just continue to put him out there every day. He's, he's our starting first baseman. He won us the game in the opening game, and then he ends up sitting the next night. I just, that, that did not, necessarily sit well with me i understand there's a plan in place and all that and i'm gonna let i'm gonna let grafal let that all play out but if if i can nitpick that's one that kind of bugged me two other small things in terms of just the negatives or the some decision making number one i agree i don't need to see a ton of elvis andrews i know what he is and who he is i think fans were frustrated with his performance are under the impression that what uh the Sox got from him last season is anything near what he's actually going to provide. He's not going to provide that. Um, so his lease should not be that long. And number two, um, just someone who I, I feel we, he, we've kind of not mentioned at all, who just really hasn't looked good at all, is Eloy Jimenez. Really, really rough start to the year. Um, didn't look great in Sunday's ball game. Didn't really look great all um all series long, and I think there, there's nothing much to say. Oh, are we worried about him? Anything like that? Um, but if we're pointing out positives and negatives, certainly someone that I'm like, we're gonna need more than that from Eloy Jimenez as the four hitter of this team, um, especially in crucial situations where the team as a whole really struggled with runners in scoring position. Um, and Eloy Jimenez didn't have everything to do with that, uh, but certainly was a part of it and part of a team struggle as a whole in crucial situations. No, no doubt. And um, especially with Aloy Jimenez kind of sitting in the middle of the lineup, you absolutely need more production from him. Um, I will say to his defense, three RBIs, second on the team currently. Um, he was still somebody that hit in certain situations, but there were too many where he had either bases loaded or run, runners in scoring position. I'd love to see the statistic of runners in scoring position over the weekend for Aloy Jimenez because I'd imagine it's not great. Um, if I can speak to what I think Aloy's issue is right now is he's just getting a little too aggressive at the plate. Um, I don't know if that is something where he's just been kind of feeling his swing coming out of the WBC, you know, maybe a little bit of the flip side of the Yohan situation where he was hitting pretty well over there and now he's just kind of trying to force the issue. But um, I, I really think patience is, is the key. Um, one thing that I did see out of um, Aloy was he falls behind in 0-2 counts quite a bit, but he'll work himself back all the, work himself all the way back to a full count. I believe he did that three times over the course of the weekend. Um, that's, that's the little Jimenez we need to see. We need to be able to see him take those pitches early in at bat, um, not force the issue 
And um, no, I agree. We do need to see a lot more out of Aloy. Um, and this is me speaking as a huge Aloy guy. But speaking of that, uh, we should probably just jump right into um, kind of our ideal batting orders. I feel it kind of fits with the theme of what we're talking about right now, um, especially with where we want these guys lined up and manage- managerial decisions. So I'll, I'll give you guys all an opportunity to give your ideal lineup. I'll just go ahead and start right off the top. Um, so number one, uh, Tim Anderson. Obviously, Tim Anderson is the, is the leadoff hitter of the Chicago White Sox. There's no debate about that. Um, number two, Luis Robert. Number three, Andrew Benintendi. Number four, Eloy Jimenez. Number five, Andrew Vaughn. Number six, Yoan Mancata. Number seven, Oscar Colas. Number eight, Yasmani Grandal. And number nine, Elvis Andrews slash whoever is playing second base. Um, I do think there is uh, quite a few positives to the way this is set up. I've seen people complain about uh, Luis Robert not being a little bit lower in the lineup uh, just based on RBI potential. But, you know, outside of today, Luis looked pretty lost to plate over the course of the weekend. Um, a guy who is really having issues with sliders, which is just kind of, kind of continued to be an issue with him. Um, but I do think his base running abilities and um, his kind of ability to load up two guys on, on the bags with him and uh, Tim Anderson are a huge benefit to a guy like Andrew Benintendi and a guy like Aloy Jimenez, who I think will heat up as the season goes on. And then when you have Andrew Vaughn in that fifth spot, even starting into the next inning with Aloy, Andrew Vaughn, and a guy like Yoel Mankata, that's another dangerous run if the first three don't get it taken care of. So that's really kind of my thoughts with uh, my lineup. Um, Oscar Colas, I thought he showed a lot of positives. He needs to lay off sliders inside. Oh, my goodness. It was getting pretty brutal there for a while. But when he gets a piece of one, he's just great great power to have at the bottom. And he's got some good speed on the base pass as well. Yaz had a pretty good weekend. Um, don't know how confident I am in putting him too much higher in the lineup yet because I want to see that con- I want to see that continue. But Yaz will get there. I, I'm almost sure of it. He definitely looks like somebody who's swinging the bat a lot better than he has been in the past. Um, and Elvis Andrews, you can't make an argument for me at all that he's anything but a nine hitter at this point. So, um, Nick, if you want to uh, go ahead and run down your lineup. Sure, yeah. Um, so first I'll just go through my one through nine like Duke did. Leading off, I have Anderson. Then I go with Moncada second. Third, Jimenez. Fourth, Luis Robert. Fifth, Benintendi. Sixth, Andrew Vaughn. Uh, seventh, Grandal. Eighth, Oscar Colas. And ninth, preferably Romy Gonzalez, but whoever's playing second base, like Duke said. And my reasoning for these, I think moving Moncada second, I've already seen enough to know that he's not 2022 Moncada. He he might end up having a worse season than he's currently on, on pace for, obviously, but I don't think he's going to be like a black hole in the lineup anymore. He's clearly healthy now and feeling better. So I like having him at the top of the lineup because he's patient and he has longer at-bats, and I think that's that's helpful. Keeping him in as third, I'm not... Not that you guys said you were worried about him. I know you actually made that clear, but I actually thought that even though his results were pretty bad this weekend, he had a few hundred-plus mile-per-hour line drives to the outfield. I went right at an outfielder, and so you can't fault him for that. The numbers look bad. He struck out a bit too much for my liking, but he also, like Duke said, worked counts more than he used to in the past, going from 0-2 to 3-2 a few times, and I liked seeing him lay off some sliders that were just off the plate. This might be controversial, but I have Robert Four. I know that he was at least on offense pretty bad until today's final game but overall I just I really believe in the talent there I think that if he starts hitting for power more consistently like he had two extra base hits today then I don't really have a better four hitter here other than maybe Andrew Vaughn but that'll depend on how the season goes I've been in 10 5 I mean obviously he had an okay at best series and he at least took a walk in today's game but 
I just like having someone who's good with runners in scoring position, batting fifth, and in his career, Benintendi is very good at that. Um, then to round it out, I have Vaughn, Grandal, Colas, Gonzalez. Not not really anything groundbreaking there, although I really like what I've seen from Grandal so far. So if he keeps that up, that will, like Duke said, he'll definitely make a case for moving him up. So overall, those are my thoughts. I think that what Pedro Grifol is actually doing is okay with me. I mean, it could be better, but it's not bad. It's better than the Larissa lineups, I think. I don't love Benintendi batting third just because it forces three righties in a row on 9-1-2. And also, I don't think he really profiles as a guy I want three. He's more like a two or like five, six guy to me. But at the end of the day, that's kind of splitting hairs. He's still a good player. And throughout the course of the season, I expect him to prove that. Yeah, I think honestly with um, Pedro Falls lineups, I think it's worth mentioning why we're even talking about this like they've been solid first of all but also they've been consistent and i think because of the consistency the consistency it gives us the ability to look back and say do we like this do we not like this what have you um i'm pretty disappointed in both of you um putting grandal so low um i i will revisit this later in the season however i opened my mouth too quickly when he came back last year uh so i'm not going to do that again this year my lineup is Anderson, Benintendi, Jimenez, Vaughn, Moncada, Grandal, Robert, Colas, and Andrews. I'll start with the most glaring one. I can't fathom putting Luis Robert anywhere near the top five, even six in the order, until he looks like it looks like I can understand his approach at the plate. Any hitter I look at in the lineup, I look at him like, okay, I can reasonably understand their approach at the plate. Luis Robert, even when he fouls things off or when he takes real big hacks, I can't see an approach. I, I He hit today or Sunday, he hit two fastballs that pretty much split the middle of the plate um, and he hammered them off the wall and over the wall. That, that didn't prove anything to me in terms of his plate approach. I think he is someone that when stacked with Anderson at the top of the lineup, those are two guys who can have very short, aggressive at-bats that are unproductive far too often to make them anything near the table setters they would need to be. I even hesitate keeping Anderson at one. I think I would even move him to two, potentially. Um, I am just not sold by those two at the top of the lineup at all. Um, That is my biggest gripe with Pedro Rafael's lineup. He seems to not be willing to change that based on some comments he's made. Um, Other than that, everything feels pretty standard in mind. I think Benintendi's a prototypical two-hitter. Lefty puts the ball in play, um, has relatively good at-bats based on what we've seen this um, this series. Um, Colas Andrews at the bottom, that last spot is really whichever one is playing second base. Other than that, I think we can split hairs over those three through six guys. Moncada, I like in the five-hole, kind of similar to you, Nick. Guy who's good with runners in scoring position. One thing he did well last year was with runners in scoring position. Um, so very some similarities in all of our lineups, but the biggest one for me is Luis. For, it's the biggest gripe I have with this weekend as a whole. Luis Robert, long term, should not be hitting two for this team, especially if Tim Anderson is hitting first. All right, that is that is a relatively hot take. I didn't didn't totally expect that. Um, I am I do have to preface this by saying I'm not at all surprised that Yasmani Grandal is above Luis Robert. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the way I'd let that shake out. I think I might switch those two spots around if I was in that role. But, um, you know, I, I really do think I, I think there's a good argument. And I've, I've been the one that's been really critical of Luis, especially on Twitter. 
Um, as far as just his approach, I, I agree with you a hundred percent when it comes to his approach, Jordan. It's it's been brutal. It really has been. Anything anything slider out of the zone, you you know, Luis is either going to have a fairly fairly lazy swing at it or lazy attempt at it just to kind of get a swing on a ball, or it's just going to be. It, it's just going to be something that he's going to stare at, go right through the zone. Like it's it's been brutal, and at this at this point in his career, he needs to start developing that type of approach at the plate where he can start battling pitches off if he's going to swing at him, especially out of the zone. Um, he needs to be able to take pitches early on in the at bat. Um, I do think you make a good point as far as like having two aggressive bats on uh, at the top of the lineup. I guess my my argument for Luis Robert in the two hole is just having his base running. Um, and being able to have two guys um, with Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, being able to get on base um, early on, early on in a in a lineup, and being able to have a guy like Andrew Benintendi or Eloy Jimenez or even an Andrew Vaughn clear the bases, you know what I mean? Because um, those are guys that do keep the ball in play. I think that is something that's important, um, especially with Benintendi. He's a guy who can at least get the ball to the outfield to be able to move runners if need be. Um, and I think that's something that is a benefit of having a Tim Anderson, Luis Robert at the top of the lineup. But I do think you make a great point, and honestly, you know, that's where we're going to see where Grafal is going to treat these guys. Are these guys who are just set into these positions, is this going to be the same lineup he's going to roll with consistently? I mean, it does seem like there is a level of consistency as far as, like, guys that we're going to see on a day-by-day basis, but is there is there going to hit a point in the season where it's not working on offense, where it's like, okay, we're going to start tinkering with the lineup a little bit. We're going to start seeing if other things start to work. Um, but... Hopefully, moving forward, we see a little bit more of Luis that we saw um, in this last game of the series. Um, it's it's all going to depend on what what type of Luis Robert we get, you know. And uh, like we said, kind of at the top of the show, he looks healthy. He looks like a guy who um, defensively is doing everything right. His speed is definitely there. Um, I thought Steve Stone kind of gushed over him a little bit with his speed when uh, he made that play in center field in the, in the last game of the series. Um, so that's. I really think having that on the base pass to kind of set the table is really important. But and, and honestly, you look at Luis Robert, Luis Robert, the player. I think we all put him two in our starting lineups when the the idea of him signing first came up into place. And you see at times he will put together like half a good at bat where he takes a few pitches right on the corner, just off the plate, and I'm like, okay, that looks good. And then he'll take these huge hacks at these sliders or miss these split uh, split the plate fastballs. I'm like, wh- where did the guy from the first three pitches of this at bat go? So it's it, he's there. There's the potential for him to stay in that spot in the lineup, and I think he's probably going to end up staying there uh, for the considerable future until Pedro Grafal really decides like it's that bad. He needs to leave the lineup. Hopefully, it never or top of the lineup. Uh, hopefully, it never gets to that point. It's it's just the frustration of seeing spurts or seeing parts of at-bats or seeing even just a couple really good at-bats and then just these huge hacks that sliders away or these huge misses on split-the-middle fastballs. Uh, that, that, really, that lack of consistency is where it's like, I need someone consistent in that two-spot. I feel better about Benintendi or Nick. I even thought about putting Moncada there. I feel better about that sort of strong plate discipline that those two guys have over what Luis Robert has in that two spot. Yeah, I, I totally hear you. And what I hope happens is that it com- comes kind of back like in 2021 where Robert just ends up hitting so well despite some approach flaws. 
that the justification goes away from discipline or profile and becomes, okay, this hitter has a 950 OPS. We need him to get as many at-bats as possible. That's that's really what I what I hope happens. And I think at the end of the day, this lineup in Houston, considering the pitching staff that they were facing, they had a pretty good series. They just didn't execute once runners were on base. Like it seemed like nonstop bases were loaded or, you know, runners on first and third, and then nothing after that. So really what you need to see is just an improvement with runners in scoring position, which I think will happen naturally. I mean, what they're doing right now is unsustainably bad. So I, I don't it might even be a bit of bad luck, but Overall, I think that no matter how you slice up this lineup, if they keep hitting the way they've been hitting, and I mean, like we said, Jimenez, Anderson, or two guys have been more patient, that's really good to see. So overall, I'm I'm excited, and I think that any of our configurations probably would would be pretty good just because of the way they're playing. And I, I completely agree. I feel like we're nitpicking at a certain point with some of this. I know I came in hot and saying, like, Reese Robert can't hit two. He probably can hit two, um, and it will probably be fine. <laughs> I know sometimes I just get on a rant and I'm like, this can't happen. It's like, it probably can. I, a lot of this negativity stuff we had to talk through, it's like, it's probably nitpicking. It's four games. It's a small sample size. Um, I don't think small sample size will prevent me from making points, but that's a completely separate thing. At the same time, um, it, it feels like it was a good series. You know, we, we talked about some things that weren't necessarily perfect, especially maybe lineup, decision-making, stuff like that. It felt like a good series, and it felt like everything that went on from the lineups to the decision-making to just the offensive production, you know, even when those things weren't going perfectly, it felt better. It felt like overall there were better approaches at the plate. Maybe not every single hitter, but overall as a team. You know, they worked pitchers out of the... I don't think any Astros starting made it to the sixth inning. This is vast improvement over 2022, even 2021, 2020, to the point where it's like, now can they sustain that? And I think that's probably the most overall, most important thing is what's the sustainability on everything that's happened, both positive and negative, um, throughout the course of this this series. Well, and I think I think what's going to be important and it's going to kind of tell the story of the entire season is where do we go from here? You know, because we just played the World Series champions and we just split the series. A lot of positives to take out of this. Guarantee you that that plane ride home tonight is going to be lit as far as, like, the team. They are feeling themselves. Yo Mankata hopefully is just dressing incredibly. But um, I, I really think that's going to tell the story is, now how do we fare against mid-tier teams? How do we fare against bad teams? You know what I mean? Like, that's where we're going to see what level of consistency this team's actually at. Because I feel like even the last few years, the White Sox were pretty good at aiming high. And then we would drop series to the Baltimore Orioles. And that's not the Baltimore Orioles of this year. Cause I, th- I actually have a lot of respect for that team, but like, you, you know what I mean? Like we've lost too many series that we had no business losing. And then we would play up to our competition when we played against them. And I just hope that's not kind of the story of what we're going with this year. I don't want, like I want this team to be flying high going into uh going into the rest of the season, but I don't want them to feel like they accomplished too much yet. Like there is a full season left to go. We can't, we can't hit cruise control like we have in the past. We need to make sure that we're taking care of business against the teams like the Pittsburgh pirates of the world. You know, even the San Francisco giants of the world, the two teams that we're going to be facing this, uh, this upcoming week and the teams that we're going to be facing or we're going to be covering next week. 
But on that note, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have for the Sox on 35th podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you might get your podcast. Also, be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook and Twitter at SoxOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. We'll be back next week as we cover another week of White Sox baseball. Thank you and go Sox! Go White Sox! Go Sox!